And welcome and Merry Christmas to all of you. If you have your Bibles, keep them open to John chapter 1. I'm excited to announce today we're starting a two-year series through the book of John. If, if you're a guest here, that joke is because we just wrapped up basically a two-year series in the book of John, and so we're not going to repeat that. Uh, but we are going to spend some time there today in Romans 1, and so we'd love for you to follow along and uh, just keep your fingers there, and uh, we'd love for you to see that what we're going to talk about this morning is uh, coming straight from the Word of God. It's not our opinion, because that's what really matters around here is what God has to say. I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Father, we thank you uh, just for your presence this morning, God. We thank you for each and every person who's in this room right now. And Lord, you, you know our hearts, you know our motivations, you know our reasons for being here. And I pray that you just make those irrelevant. God, that as we open your word and we digest it and look into it, God, that you would just take over this room and that you would have your way in this midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an airplane uh, recently that took off, uh, had a nice, safe takeoff, and early into the flight, there was no problem at all, but, but shortly into it, they, everyone on board heard this big explosion. And the plane was rattled, and everybody got nervous, and the, so quickly the captain got on the intercom, and he said, listen, I need you guys to know, we, we lost an engine, but, but there's no worries, we've got three more, okay? And so all this means is that we're going to be about a half hour slower than we originally thought, so they fly a little bit farther, and then there's another explosion. And the plane is rattled again. The captain quickly gets on. Yeah, it's the same thing, guys. We lost another engine, but don't worry. There's, there's two more, right? And so all this means is now we're going to be about an hour later than we originally thought. But we're good. A third explosion. Again, an explanation. Another half-hour delay. And then to the horror of everyone on board, there's a fourth explosion. And there's one passenger in front who's just visibly upset and shaken. So the stewardess goes to him and tries to comfort him. And he says, how can you try to comfort me in a time like this? Do you understand what this means? It's going to take all day to get there now. <laughs> or do you, ever, you ever feel like you're just missing the point, right? See, there's, there's a question that is laid before humans since time began. And the question is this, why are we here? Right, what is the point of your life? And I want to I start this morning by asking you do, you, do you have a good answer to that question? I mean, I, I'm assuming those of you who are working, you, you go to work to pay for the things you have, but then you can't enjoy them because you're always working. We have this series of unquenchable desires that when you leave here today, you're going to get hungry and you're going to go eat lunch. And guess what? By dinner, you're going to be hungry again. When you're thirsty, you're going to take a drink. And, and guess what? Not long after that, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to get tired tonight. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up. And then you're going to get tired again. We have all kinds of goals that we chase that never fulfill us. We, we pursue these promotions and riches that never satisfy us. And those who, who, are, who are perceptive enough to realize this, they get stuck in this chase. And so they decide maybe that pleasure or drugs or gambling throws or more will, will finally bring fulfillment. Have you ever felt just stuck in the race? Where you're born and you go to school and you get a job and you spend all your healthy years at that job? And by the time you retire, you're not even able to enjoy it because your youth was wasted on the young. Merry Christmas, by the way. But you see, we choose goals, right? We give ourselves to a cause. We align with a political party thinking, this is what will bring me meaning. Something will give me meaning, but none of them do. I remember eight years ago, I was working in a job that by all intents and purposes, you can't find one thing to complain about. 
It was actually rated as one of the best places to, one of the best companies to work for in Indiana. It provided for my family. And get this, this maybe this doesn't mean a lot to you, but it does to, to me and my family now. Every night I was off. Every weekend I was off. It was never on call. There'd be no surprise phone call that I had to go in. This was a great company to work for. I got along with my bosses great. Corinne loved it when I had that job. And I was miserable. Because I didn't see the point. I remember early on, I was like, I'm, I'm going to make my mark here. I'm going I'm I'm to make a big difference. I'm going to throw myself into this project. And at the end of the project, I realized I saved the company $30,000. And so I was called to present it to the board. And I had this big PowerPoint presentation. Board. You realize in the next 12 months, we're going to save $30,000 because of this. And they all basically yawned. And that's when I realized their profit margin that year was between three and four million. They weren't excited about 30000 at all. And I got uneasy, and I got unsettled, and I felt lost and directionless, and I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. You ever been there? The alarm goes off, you get up, you drive in, and you wonder, what, what am I doing? Are you retired, and there's no need to set an alarm anymore, but you get up anyways because of all those years you did, but you don't know what your purpose is? And a lot of times, right, when we get in these spots, it's just easier not to ask the question. Especially when we don't have an answer. So it's easy to see in that desperation how and where we lose our way. But I'm really excited to tell you this this morning. It doesn't have to be this way. There is absolutely a solid purpose for your life. There is a rock that will steady you and guide you and fulfill you. And it's been there all along. It's just that most of us miss it. And really, this Christmas holiday that we're celebrating, it's a perfect analogy in this because this time of year gets consumed by so many different things, doesn't it? With parties and gifts that you have to buy for other people and traditions and family expectations. Your mom expects you this place and your in-laws expect you this place and hectic schedules. And in the midst of all that, what is lost is the point. This time of year also can get consumed by tragedy. So we know the holidays are a magnifier of emotions. And so if you're facing grief or struggle or illness this time of year, that, that stuff is just magnified. It's heightened. And it can also cause us to miss the point. But this struggle is not new. Right? Humans have always had this tendency of just missing the point. And the good news is there's an answer to all this. And the answer to every question every need is the same. And we're here today to celebrate and inhale and share with you that answer. John chapter 1, where Drew read for you, we get John, the Apostle John's take on Christmas. And unlike the other three Gospels, he doesn't focus on the details. Did you notice that? Did you see anywhere in there talk about a manger or Joseph and Mary or donkeys or, or sheep or anything? No, he, he focuses on the big picture because in John's mind, this is the biggest deal ever. And so he doesn't want to tell you what happened. He wants to tell you why it's a huge thing. And in verse 9, he, he calls Jesus the true light that gives light to everyone. And he says, what you, we need to understand is that light was coming into our dark world. And the context of this first chapter in John is that Jesus is a big deal, bigger than you've ever imagined. Because we're told in this chapter alone that, that he is the word. He reveals to us who God is. That Jesus is the creator. That nothing has been made except by him. That he is light. There's no illumination, no truth, and no hope outside of Jesus. And that he's eternal. And verse 9 tells us that that light, that true light, that creator, word, eternal God was coming into our world. Look at what he writes in verse 14. Where he says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. I want to start here this morning. Make no mistake, whether you believe this or not, I want you to know what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that God became a human. 
that he humbled himself and he took on our limited flesh to pursue us and reveal himself to us and save us. The baby of that first Christmas is no ordinary baby. Colossians 1 says that he's the visible image of the invisible God. So that's the starting point. And he came, which is huge, right? Well, what did we do in response? Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. All right, so make no mistake, all right? God actually came here physically, and so all our questions, all our wonders, all our doubts could be laid to rest because there he is. We can ask him anything. He made the move towards us, and our response as a people was to collectively miss him. We didn't recognize him. We didn't notice. We didn't have time for him. And by the way, he didn't exactly hide. Right? John chapter 12 says this, that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, do you hear that language? So many signs, that means a lot. In their presence means right in front of them, they still would not believe in him. See, Jesus didn't exactly hide in a corner. There's a reason that you all have an opinion about who he is this morning. There's a reason that he's the most known, most talked about, most debated person ever. It's because when he showed up, he stirred the pot. He challenged all the authorities in his day. He tossed cultural expectations on its head. He's changed the world dramatically, and he performed countless miracles. And the majority of human response to that was, eh, okay. And that's not even the worst of it. Look at verse 11. John chapter 1 verse 11 tells us this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now his own there are the people of Israel, the, the people that he chose as his own, the people that he has set apart as distinct or holy and just for him. These are the people that he gave his law to and sent his prophets to. These are the people that he called them his bride. These are the people that he charged them to carry his light to the Gentiles. It's the people that he'd given to time and time and time again, and now he's given him himself. You see, he... Even though he didn't hide, he, he was coming for them, make no mistake about it. He never traveled outside the size of a region that's one-twelfth the size of Michigan. He came to fulfill their law that he'd given them. He came to fulfill their prophecies that their prophets had said to them. They claimed, by the way, to be waiting in anxious anticipation for him. They claimed to be full of hope, waiting for the arrival of Messiah. But when he came, they didn't want him. Because they didn't want his version of what the Messiah was to be. So they refused to accept him as the revelation of the Father. They refused to accept his authority. They simply would not obey him. And it was their leaders who demanded and orchestrated his death on the cross. And it's too easy this morning to ask, right, what is the problem? If anybody should have known, it should have been them. But it's harder to recognize this truth this morning. Their problem is our problem. Right? Their issue is our issue. Because we are them and they are us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. If you don't, we're going to throw it on the screens for you. Keep your fingers in John 1. Romans chapter 1 kind of lays out for you a very important detail about who we are as a race of humans. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20, says this. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their few foolish hearts were darkened. The Bible tells us that human history begins with men knowing God. In the Garden of Eden, they had unbroken fellowship. There's no separation between God and man. They, had, they were in perfect relationship. And in Genesis chapter 3, mankind rejected God. And the reason why is this. They were tempted that if you disobey him, you can, you can be like him. 
Right? So what they decided was that they would rather be God than to know God. You know what Romans 1 is telling us there? We've never stopped making that decision. Right? It tells us that the evidence for God is undeniable. It's been laid bare for us in all creation so that we are without excuse. You can debate the method all you want. Nothing doesn't decide to become something all on its own. Right? Creation proves God, and despite this, we reject him. We do not approach him in gratitude for what he's given us. Right? Without the gift of life, none of us would be here. We don't try and glorify him with the lives that he gave us. We live for our own glory. And in this, what we do is we collectively reject God. Just the same as the Jews rejected Jesus. And we reject him by refusing to accept his authority. Reject him by refusing to obey him. Refusing to give him glory. And refusing to be thankful for what he's done. You need to know the arc of human history. It's really simple. Right? History teachers, I'm sorry. I'm going to break it down in four sentences. This is the arc of human history. God created everything, including us, and we rejected God. And God, in his love, came for us to save us from that rejection, and we rejected him again. The Bible is crystal clear. We are not the hero of the story. If somebody is teaching that, they aren't properly handling the Bible, they haven't read it. He is the hero. He is the light. He is the good. He is the just. He is the creator. He is God. And we are unfaithful, rebellious, sin-filled, ungrateful beings. And he loves us anyways. However, you must understand this morning that our rejection of God is not without effects. This causes devastating effects in our lives and the lives of those we love, including two harmful results to our very being, our very souls, that Romans 1 unpacks for us here. Number one is that our minds become depraved and owned by sin. See, when we reject God, we reject the only source of constant truth. All other sources of truth in this world are changing constantly. Have you noticed that? But God is literally the bedrock of eternity. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Here's what 1 Peter 1 tells us. 1 Peter 1 says that all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the fields. Their grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so once we reject the source of constant and abiding truth, there are great consequences of that. And verse 21 of Romans 1 that we read told us that our thinking becomes futile and our foolish hearts become darkened. So what does that look like? Those, those are ominous sounding words. What does that actually look like? What it looks like is this. We start to believe that we are the point. The truth becomes what I say it is. That my feelings and my emotions and my desires now mean more than his revealed truth. That I take what he calls sin and call it good and I actually encourage others to do the same. And what we do is we reject God as the authority in our lives. We ignore our creator showing him no reverence or gratitude. And we openly live our lives in disobedience to him and his word. All the while convincing ourselves that we know more than he does. Let me ask you, what else would you call that? but foolish and dark and depraved. The second effect this has in our soul is that we turn to worship lesser things. Look down a little farther in Romans 1 and verse 25. Here's what it says about us. That they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. This is an undeniable reality that you were created to worship. Now you were created to worship God, but without that in your life, you are going to worship something. Right? It's why we all keep going. The reality of life is that much of the structure of life is pointless. We've already talked about that today. So what we do as human beings is we find something to live for. Right? We find something that's going to capture our dreams and our imagination. We find something to give ourselves to that has our devotion and our worship. There's something that you're living for this morning. There's something that keeps you moving. And the reason I know that is because you got out of bed. 
Right, there's something that's consuming your investments and controlling your passions. And Romans chapter 1 is telling us the only thing worthy of that is God. But when we reject him, make no mistake about it, we will make another God. We will choose another God to worship. Right, for some of us, it's success. For some, it's this idea of pleasure. For others, it's riches and wealth. For others, it's, it's romantic love. There's somebody out there for me, right? Sometimes we just cling to other people. For others, it's religion. Most often, the God we choose is ourselves. James chapter 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from above. They come to us from God, and we take those gifts in our depravity, and we make them the point. And in doing so, we miss the point. All those good and perfect gifts that come in your life are designed to increase your joy and your gratitude and your worship of the giver. But what we do is worship the gifts. Now, I'm, I have a confession this morning. I'm, I'm a terrible gift giver. Okay, you, if you're in relationship with me, you need to know that. My wife knows that, and she wouldn't admit it last night. She tried, all right? I told her I was going to tell, I was going to confess this, this today, and she said, you're not that bad of a gift giver. And I said, fine, challenge. Come up with five gifts that I've given you in the 12 years of marriage that you're thankful for. And there's like 20 seconds of pause, and she said, you're really not that bad at giving gifts. She couldn't come up with one, right? And then she said, how about our kids? And I was like, that's a cop-out answer, and you know it, all right? I remember there's one year, there's one year I actually did good, right? I knew she'd been studying all these slow cooker meals. She wanted a crock pot and, and she didn't have it. And I was like, this is, I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm in the zone here. I've got it. I've wrapped it up. It's perfect. She opened it up Chris this morning, loved it. Second day she used it, it cracked and broke, right? And listen, it wasn't her fault. It's because it was a gift from me and gifts from me are never allowed to be good, right? Her gifts this year, you just needed, I, I ordered them from Amazon on, on December 19th, guaranteed delivery by December 21st, right? Got it. Nailed it this year. I get a notification from Amazon December 22nd. There's something wrong with the card information. They're now going to arrive December 28th. We leave for Ohio on December 27th, which means she will get her Christmas gift sometime in 2018, all right? That's what I do. I'm rarely on time, right? I'm all, my gifts are almost never useful, and it's not from a lack of effort. I really try. Um, and I remember I got advice one day, that one time, that if you just live with someone, you watch someone, and you, you're gonna, what you're going to do is you're going to see a need, and you're going to give them a gift. And there was a time I tried this. Right? I was late in high school. I was either junior, senior, 17 or 18. I tell you that to let you know I was not a child here. I should have known better, okay? And, and, and as we led up to Christmas that year, there was a mouse that kept visiting the Parks household. And every night, this mouse would sneak in, go into the bread drawer, have its way with their bread, take a dump, and then leave. Right? And it just, it just repeated the process every night. And, and my dad kept trying to set these old mouse traps that kept malfunctioning. And since he's cheap and stubborn, he just kept trying to use the same one over and over again. And it just kept failing. So it's two days before Christmas. I'm walking through the Cloverdale IGA, and I see up on the shelf this glorious thing called Decon. And I, I started reading the back of it, and I realized you just, you just sit in the drawer. And a mouse will come and nibble on it, and then he'll go away somewhere and die. You don't even have to clean him up. And I thought, man, this is perfect. I, this, this, I've, I've studied my dad. I've watched his life. I know what he needs. This is going to be the most thoughtful gift I've ever got. And so I buy it, and I wrap it up real nice, and here comes Christmas morning. And my oldest brother, Brian, gives him his gift first. He opens up some big book about history. I don't know. I, I don't care about history, but dad's a nerd about it. And so he got real excited and was flipping through it. Second, Danny goes and gives him a gift. It's really nice Indianapolis Colts sweatshirt. And it hits me. And what went through my brain is, you're sitting here with a mousetrap, you fool. 
That's what, I mean, let's not, let's not romanticize. That's what it is, right? And they said, all right, Brad, it's your turn. I go, no. And like, what? I'm like, I'm not giving it to you. I said, you, I'll, I'll go somewhere. I'll try again. You just have to wait. You're not opening this. This is not going to be a Christmas gift. And, you know, mom's like all simply, oh, I'm sure he'll love it. It'll be okay, you know. But I know what's coming if that gift is open, right? And sure enough, she makes me give it to him, and it's, it's my older brother's favorite Christmas memory ever when I thought a mousetrap would be a good gift, right? Now, my parents are excellent gift givers. So there's hope for my children because maybe their grandparents can cover them, right? But I think back, I think back over all the Christmases of growing up, and, and honestly, the, the, the fact they're really good at it, I only remember a handful of gifts. I remember the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird double shot arcade game where we could shoot, you know, those, those games where you shoot against each other and it keeps track of the score? Man, we played that all the time. I remember the first ever computer we bought. I'm dating myself now. Right? I remember the Larry Bird, the first fitted hat I had was a Larry Bird hat. And the, but everything else has just kind of faded away. I don't remember the gifts. But you know what I do remember? The givers. Because every single year there were gifts given to me from, from two parents that I knew loved me and supported me and cared about me. And all the gifts they gave in the, on days that weren't Christmas. And over time, as all the gifts have faded, what means most to me are the givers. And this is why Romans 1 matters. Because when we settle for the gifts, when we give our adoration and worship and devotion to the gifts, we miss out on so much more of what we could know and experience. And that is why he came. He came because we needed saved from our depraved state. As, as beings with depraved minds owned by sin and foolish hearts who worship lesser things, we could not save ourselves. You understand that, right? There was never enough good that I could do. There was never enough accomplishments that I could have. There was never enough religion that I could pursue. There was never enough nice deeds or successes or good works that could save me from this wretched state I'm in. But God could. And he was the only one who could, and so he came. And I need you to get this this morning, right? We talk often around this time of year about Jesus being the gift. I've heard him described as the greatest Christmas gift ever. And when I talk today about missing the point, it's something bigger than missing the gift. I want you to know this morning, Jesus wasn't just the gift. He's the giver. He's the giver of all good things. He's the one who gave us creation. He gives us life and identity and time and purpose and value. He gives us what we need to survive. And the Bible tells us that at just the right time, he gave us the most precious and valuable gift he's ever given us, which was himself. When he took on our form, when he took on our flesh, it was the immortality wrapped in the mortal. And from that first moment in the manger, all the way to the cross on Golgotha, what he was offering us was himself. He gave us his sacrifice for our salvation. He gave us his payment for our freedom. He gave us his suffering for our gain. He gave us his death so that you and I might experience life. And how foolish, how much of a waste, how tragic would it be to respond to all that by not only missing out on the gift, but also the giver. To miss out on the one who loves you like that. To miss out on the forgiveness of sins and eternal life he's offered you. And for what? For what? For your own semblance of control over your life? For some sin that you're clinging to and not giving up? For some, from, some petty doubt you're holding on to? For, for, for what are you missing out on that for? So what do we do? 
Well, the answer's right there back in John 1. If you want to flip back there, John chapter 1, verse 12. Starts with a great word. The word is yet. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'm really thankful for that word. Because John is painting a bleak picture, isn't he? He came and we didn't receive him. He came to his own and his own rejected him. And then he says, yet. Which means it's been all bad news now, but it doesn't have to be bad news for you. Yet to all who did receive him. Right, to all who did believe in his name. This is a twofold call, and I'm going to try to make it as simple for you this morning as I can. If you want your life changed forever, you need to receive and believe. The idea of receiving, I'm assuming that you're going to be at a gift exchange, either tonight or tomorrow at some point. Are you going to gather with family? At some point, there's going to be a gift handed to you, but you realize you don't really have to take it, Right? I mean, you could reject it, you could deny it, you could refuse to open it, it it would make you a jerk, but you can do that, right? It's free, it's a gift, it's intended for you, but it's not yours until you actually receive it. It's the same idea here, God pursued you, he came for you, Jesus took on the form of humanity, he lived the perfect life, he died on the cross and rose from the dead, all to offer you this amazing gift of forgiveness and eternal life and purpose, but you have to receive it. You have to receive the gift by receiving the giver, you have to stop trying to be your own God, and stop trying to earn your own way, and stop trying to prove your worth or resisting his work in your life. You need to ask for and receive his grace. Ask for and receive his forgiveness. Ask for and receive his rule and his reign and his say over your life. We just simply say, God, I, I accept what you did on my behalf. I receive it. Forgive me by the death of your son. Take over my life. I'm yours. You must receive and you must believe. Romans chapter 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then listen to this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This is incredibly simple but powerful. You are to believe God. And so when God tells you in his word that on your own you can't be saved, when God tells you in his word that on your own you are lost and desperate, when God tells you in his word that he sent Jesus to fix that and that Jesus took on your price and took your place and defeated death, what you are to do to that, God says, is you are to just believe what he says. And I want you to know that John specifically says you are to believe in his name. That is in the name of Jesus because this is crucial. The New Testament is clear that faith and belief that God accepts is faith and belief in Jesus and in Jesus alone. It is not that I believe in Jesus plus my goodness, right? It's not that I like Jesus' story, but I'm going to trust in my right deeds or church attendance. It's not that I believe in Jesus, but I'm also a good parent and avoid bad things, and so God should be proud of me. The only acceptable faith in the eyes of God is someone saying, I am ruined, I am hopeless, I am stained forever by my sin, and I need Jesus more than I need my next breath. You understand, I'm going to stand before God one day, and the New Testament is clear that when I do, my accuser will be there, and he will lay out before God every wrong thing I've ever done in my life. And the only hope I have on that day is to say everything he said is true. And the only thing I have to offer for you is the blood of Jesus Christ. I plead him and his forgiveness and his grace, and it's the only thing I'm banking on. And the Bible says that is the only thing God will accept. If you got little kids like me, you become a, sort of a children's book aficionado, right? And so I, I'm, I'm become to like, I've become to like the books done by Eric Carle. Eric Carle, he's, he's a great illustrationist as well. He's the one who did Hungry Little Caterpillar. One of my favorites is Mixed Up Chameleon. 
I've read it to my girls at bedtime a lot. And this chameleon, this story, he decides that he's not happy being a chameleon one day. And so he goes around looking at all different animals. He wants to have different aspects of each animal. First he wants to be a polar bear, and then he wants to be a fish. And he'd rather be a turtle, and then a deer, and an elephant, fox, giraffe, even a human being. And what happens is the chameleon ends up totally out of whack and completely confused. And he's lost, and he's hurt, and he doesn't know what to do. And it, it hits him. He realizes, I was created to be a chameleon. And the most joy, the most fulfillment, the most abundant life I can have is just simply being who I was created to be. I can remember the day that that job for me that was pointless completely changed. It was something that I knew before, but in my foolishness I'd forgotten. The point wasn't the job. The point wasn't the duties. The point wasn't the responsibilities, the salary. The point is that Jesus was there. And wherever I go and whatever I do, my number one job is to serve him. And as long as he was there at that job, there was something to live for. And as long as he was present, there were people to reach. As long as he was there, there was a purpose in going every day. As long as he was there, I could discover ways to serve his kingdom while working there. And fulfill, I'm telling you, fulfillment came and reason came and purpose came and peace came. Jesus Christ came to earth and took on our flesh. And, and we celebrate this, that this morning. But what we really celebrate is this, that after he came, he stood before a group of people and he told us why. In John 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. You're saying the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Acts 17 tells us that God predetermined when and where that you would live. And he did that so you might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any of us. 2 Peter 3 says that the, the wrath of God on human sin is being stored up. It's ready to be pulled out. But God himself is actually holding it back, waiting for more to turn to him because he doesn't want any to perish. And Philippians 3, you have Paul writing this whole list of things that his life was all about. All these pursuits that were that were things that he was living for and he says you know what now now they're all a loss now they're nothing now they're dumb compared to just knowing Jesus Christ in the last 2,000 years countless people have signed up to be willing servants of Jesus they have let go of possessions they've moved across the globe in his name they've willingly suffered and endured loss all for the aim of his glory and not theirs more than 70 million people have died for having faith in Jesus because they all found a purpose for their existence they all found a love beyond anything that this world can offer. They all found a hope that has an answer for every drop of human suffering. And they all found a truth that reveals everything else to be a lie. And the question I lay before you this morning is what you're living for worth that? Is what you're staking your entire life on worth that? Is what you're getting out of bed for have any kind of value like that? Does your life have any semblance of that clarity? Or have you missed the point? And this is so much more than a holiday. It's so much more than an excuse to get together with family. It's so much more than days off work. We are marking the moment when God changed everything. We're marking the moment when heaven came in an all-out pursuit of us. And he came, make no mistake, to save us because we could not save ourselves. The moment when we were not just given a gift, but we were given the giver himself. So have you received? Have you believed? If not, you need to today. Even if you have, have you lost the point? Are you living for him first? Are you seeking his glory first? Do you have that clarity as you go throughout your day? Jesus Christ came 
He came and made it all about us so that we would never have to again. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for such a familiar story that we celebrate today. We're thankful for the the tale that we came in here today expecting to sing about, God. Expecting to talk about, expecting to hear about, Lord. But God, do not let that familiarity rob it of its power. Father, we ask now that if there are any in our midst who belong to you, they are followers of Christ, but, but recently they've struggled with identity. Recently they've struggled with purpose or direction or life. Would you remind them, God, that your son came and laid it out clearly for us, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust you with everything else. Give us that clarity. Give us that focus, Lord. And then for those, God, I pray for those who are in this room right now and will be in this room tonight who are here because this is what you do on Christmas. They're here because their family brought them. They're here because it's, it's a tradition. And God, all those things are meaningful. All those things can be positive. But if that's it, they've missed the point. They've missed the point of this day. They've missed the point of their existence. They've missed the point of what you did. And so I pray now that as they're sitting in their seat, they would finally surrender, that they would receive and believe. They would say, yes, Lord, I I want you to forgive me. I want you to take over my life. I believe in you. And today would be the day that, that, that marks their new beginning, their new life in you. And for the first time, actually understanding why they're here. We pray that you do this to the glory of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.